First Time Feelings is a monthly podcast hosted by two Melbourne women exploring universal human experiences via micro-narratives based on first-time feelings. Whether it be shame, guilt, longing, anxiety or lust, each anecdote is an honest, witty and relatable vignette that taps into the messy human journey we're all on. Naming and reclaiming emotion, one feeling at a time. Hey there and welcome to episode 4 of First Time Feelings. If this is your first time tuning in, the podcast is hosted by myself, Crystal and my good friend Ruth. The show delves into our lived experiences that produced an emotion for the very first time. After we tell our stories, we follow up with a casual chat about the significance and meaning of these experiences. Today we go into the murky terrain of our 20s, a time where everyone feels a bit fraudulent. Whether you're working in an office building called the Tower with a nameplate that boasts your position as a statistician but you literally can't add, or you've done something semi-terrible and you can't tell anyone what. From the workplace to the sharehouse, from the misunderstood CV office nightmare to post-teen bad behaviour, we explore how bad it feels to recount bad behaviour when you always try to be your best self, or how alarming it is to literally be an imposter. Today's episode brought out some lols and some shame-faced emojis. Firstly, I want to preface this story by saying, this retelling is one of my least favourite first-time feelings memories, which makes total sense, because who wants to feel like a fraud? But alas, we've committed to this podcast to expose ourselves and our plethora of first-time feelings to the world in all our vulnerable glory. So here goes. Just another Friday night. People often refer to their youth as a blur, a drunken, sometimes drug-induced blur. And seemingly, I lack originality and can describe much of my youth as such. Albeit the fact, as much as I like to partake in the party, In parallel, I was very much enacting the life of a responsible 20-year-old. I was completing a Bachelor of Arts, I was holding down a part-time job, and I was paying rent and bills on time. I pulled my weight in the share house I was in. In fact, I felt like in that department I was far superior to my housemates, who were constantly late with their bill money, ate all my food, and borrowed all of my various useful possessions without permission. I felt like I was balancing my hedonism and responsibilities quite successfully. Weekends were full of adventure and misadventure, and this particular weekend was no different. My housemates and I had made no real plans, but there was always a standard plan every weekend of getting drunk somewhere, somehow. As we lived a stone's throw from a bar that played good music, had the occasional gig, and had attractive bartenders who freeport if they liked the look of you, our plans often saw us getting drunk at the Flying Scotsman in Mount Lawley, Perth. The three of us naturally had a few drinks at home, shook off the social anxiety cobwebs and headed out on our merry way to, as we say in Australia with fond sentiment, the pub. I don't recall eating much that day, some light sushi and accoutrements around midday and not much else. As the night wore on, this knowledge that I had not had anything substantial to eat that day was like a faint recollection, whisked away in a haze of cigarette smoke and a steady flow of shots. After shots, there were beer chases, then a cigarette outside, then back inside to dance, then more shots until the cycle had been completed. I may have sung karaoke, or that may have been another night at the Scotsman. I may have thrown up green seaweed salad straight into the sink, or that may have been another night at the Scotsman. It's really hard to tell what happened between the hours of 11.30pm and 1.30am on that fateful night. 
I pieced it all together from a few pieces of evidence the next day. I woke up and my head was throbbing. So was my hand. My head I could make sense of. My hand, not so much. I looked closer at my hand. It had some weird little cuts on it. I went through my bag to try and find more evidence to piece the night before together. Wallet, deodorant, phone. No keys, though. I stumbled hungover to the kitchen. It all looked fine. Then I looked to my left towards the back door and noticed glass on the floor. It all came flooding back. A fist-sized hole was in the window of the back door. Jesus, what had I done? As soon as I saw the smash window, I started to concoct my plan. My moral compass didn't even have a chance to swing north. Windows were expensive. I was a student and had no money. I was a good student who did not punch through glass windows whilst blackout drunk. I could hear my housemates staring. I played over my lines a few times in my head and I was ready. They stumbled into the back room. What happened? They both chorused at me in unison. Someone's tried to break into the house in the middle of the night. Don't worry, I'm going to call the cops and report it right now. Well, well, well. <laughs> um, I would like to confess that I have done the same thing. Um, really? Yep. I did oh, it. That immediately makes me feel so much better. <laughs> I did it also. I did tell my housemates, though, that oh, I... You've got one up on me then. Yeah. So it was like a secret shared, a burden shared. And when the cops came in, they were like, hmm, that sounds like a really unlikely scenario. But they wrote the police report and, you know, we got it to the real estate agent and they repaired it for free, so... See, I mean, and this is the thing. It's like that just proves that like lying does pay off sometimes. Sometimes it does, um, especially when you're not consequenced. Um, but like I doubt your housemates would have felt really like outraged um, at your fib if they'd found out, would they? Probably not, to be honest. But it was me. I felt outraged at yeah, myself, yeah. I think. And, you know, in that really short amount of time that I had to decide like what I was going to say. Yeah, you immediately... I think I was so shocked at myself for like yeah. doing something like that in the first place yeah. that I was kind of like, well, I don't want to have to admit that I did that. And then I didn't even think about the lying part of it. I was just like, I just don't want people to know that, yeah. that I would do that. Yeah. I'm not the kind of person that would smash through a window drunk. Yeah, like being like a really like bad drunk or like being yeah. it's kind of animally sick isn't it you know just <laughs> like a bit of a thug like honestly i'm like can't I get in bang didn't, didn't even know i could punch through a glass window <laughs> have never tried it again so um yeah yeah it was just one of those split second decisions yeah. and i guess why i associate it with um feeling fraudulent was because a i don't i didn't think i was that type of yeah of person so i was like who are you? Maybe you're not really this kind of like well-behaved, like, you know, because I must admit I did kind of those things that I said at the start of the story about feeling like, you know, I paid rent on time. Like I obviously had a bit of a, you know, now that I look back on it, a little bit of a superior attitude yeah. towards my housemates yeah. because I think they were a bit more chronically badly behaved, but this was like a real sobering moment, which I never revealed to anyone really yeah. um, for many, many years. It was really sobering because I was just like, oh, 
you know, you totally had the potential to be a badly behaved young person. Yeah. And that was a bit naive of you to yeah. kind of like I, pedestal yourself yeah. a bit. Yeah, it's that kind of, I, I understand that because I, I definitely have the tendency to be a bit righteous. And um, especially in share housing situations, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is, oh, I can't believe they've done this. You know, I'm the only one who does this. or, And then when you're, especially when you're around people that are behaving really badly, you do start to pick up some of their behaviours too. like Oh, great. So what you're saying is I can really just blame my behaviour on them. <laughs> but like it, does, it brings out, it's in you, but it brings mm. out what's in you to yeah. the surface. Like especially if you're around people that are being kind of amoral or immoral mm. um, and irresponsible and like, and also when you're drinking heavily and stuff and, you know, and taking drugs and stuff, you, you're, you're, your compass, you do lose that mm. kind of, you know, it's, it, but like, yeah, it's always in you. And it's like, I yeah. think it's just making, I don't know, I guess like it's making peace with your shadow self or your, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like. And I think I had this really like, which, you know, I would probably still think that I do kind of have the same type of feeling now, even being like, you know, that's like 10 years plus ago where I'm like, oh, I'm really good at balancing everything. Like yeah. I can balance having, you know, like my creative outlet and working a full-time job yeah. and like control yeah it's yeah. Yeah, exactly it's totally about control and yeah. I think like in that moment like it all kind of came crashing down like you know because I did have that idea that I was balancing everything really well like yeah I can go out and party but then I go to uni and I'm really you know and I'm yeah. doing well and I'm getting good grades and all of that but um it all kind of came crashing down when yeah I realized I'd gotten really drunk and lost my keys and punched through a window. Well, losing, I think, like, when you're a person that wants to have control too and that kind of, like, blackout drunk too is terrifying because you're, like, mm-hmm. you're, you do, your body is doing all of these things <laughs> that you have no control over. Yeah. You can't police it and, like, you don't feel responsible in a way because yeah. you're like, I didn't do it. My subconscious yeah. did. So, yeah. So I've held, I've held that, um that little lie yeah. inside for a long time. Yeah. I think I I told a few of my good friends eventually, um, but just like so much time had passed. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, that's a previous version of myself. Yeah. So yeah. as time went on, it didn't feel so shameful, but it definitely made me feel 100% like a fraud at the time. Yeah. And also because I had just generally wasn't really like I didn't lie yeah and so that was like whoa so on top of that it was like okay so you've committed this like criminal act (laughs) (laughs) criminal act even though you know it's break and enter into my own share house um but you know like I've damaged property and and whatnot and um so I've done that and then I've decided to lie about it yeah and then lie about it to the police. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it, it goes through multiple levels of, of wrong, but it's also really not a big deal. But yeah. it's, yeah, I definitely know that feeling because I, I think that we've all done, we've, we're all capable of doing quite terrible things, but also under pressure. And I think, like, mm. that's why, like, even though it's really not a serious crime, it reminds me a little bit of that kind of Patricia Highsmith sort of thing where... Um, anyone's capable of doing something um, bad and they hold like this kind of secret and then it's what the se- what happens after the secret like that's kind of what her books are about but yeah mm. it's a, yeah 
Well, so, I'm glad the secret's out. Yeah, <laughs> so you can make peace with your yeah. shadow self now. Yes. The Tower. When I first moved to Melbourne, I was a lot of things. Miserable, uptight, academic, and determined to make it to Rome, a trip that I'd cancelled post-breakup. I think I had some pretentious idea about reading Dante's Inferno in Italian on location, even though my repertoire was limited to My Name is Ruth, Where Do You Live?, which freaked out native speakers to no end. With a creative honours degree and a year in a call centre under my belt, I was determined to find a job as soon as I landed. I was living in a double-storey terrace house in Fitzroy that was a lot filthier than my best friend had let on. In fact, we couldn't work out if the double-storey terrace had been painted black or if the years of consecutive filth that had discoloured the heritage building. Nevertheless, in almost pre-gentrified Fitzroy, I think we paid something like $400 a month. I held on to my carefully accrued savings for as long as I could, but they were eventually depleted by the Fitzroy Collingwood pubs and cafes I spent drunk afternoons and evenings in. So I got a retail job, one a cash job that paid me about eight bucks an hour, and I was verbally and psychologically taunted by the owner. A job in promotions where I wore hot pants and a cowboy hat and dispensed shots. I spilled them all and had to pay back the bar. A catering job where I was fired from because my friend was taking ecstasy. Another where I was fired for dressing like Stevie Nicks and being too nervous. And then the job in the tower. The recruiter saw that I had worked in energy, nothing esoteric. My last job in Perth was for a power company called Western Power. I worked in the call centre. While I took some pretty hairy emergency fault calls that I still have nightmares about, think fallen power lines on car roofs, it was mainly people ringing up about their bills, changing residence or faulty streetlights. While I had to know how to add up a little bit and conduct an energy audit, my learning disability was actually undetected. Discalcula had seen me lose a lot of jobs. I still to this day can barely add and subtract. But Discalcula has affected me in a lot of other areas, such as understanding concepts like telling time, distances, time spans, and other kind of measurements. Numbers did often come out backwards or went through some invisible sieve in my grey matter. So when I got the job at Origin Energy, I thought it was pretty much a step up on call centre work. Cruisier not chained to a phone. Awesome. The office was on the top floor of a city skyscraper called The Tower. If that's not ominous enough, I was shown to my office where a plaque with my name was on the door. I was told my job was a business energy auditor, looking at major corporations' power supplies and generating bills for them. I sat in the room with a stern but suave older woman who looked a lot like Katie Lang, who I really liked and desperately did not want to disappoint. She patiently went through the calculations with me and I took toilet breaks frequently, texting to my friends who were probably at the beach or at the pub, help, help me please, I don't know what I'm doing. And while I had charmed the interview panel, I hadn't lied. Obviously the slick recruiter had gotten some wires crossed. Why didn't I call him? That first day, I just don't know. I think I was really embarrassed. For the first week I took the tram in, my flip phone was in my hand and I was texting my friend, I have no idea what I'm doing, please help me, what do I do? Just milk it up, then quit, my friends wrote back. Or can you learn? 
quit, come to the beach. Lol. I couldn't. I needed the money. And I desperately wanted to do well. The entire office, even my hapless mentor, loved me. I was invited to the staff Christmas party at a Swiss South Bank restaurant where they gave me decorative corn holders. A friend of mine, a scruffy muso, who was a visitor to our Napier Street house, saw me en route to the office post-Christmas party in my heels and suit and Italian stockings. He did a double take of my outfit and the company I was keeping. I nodded at him and made a face that was screaming, do not say hello, I'm deep, deep undercover. He nodded and scuffled along. He got it. I so wanted to fit in. I so needed the money, but was so out of my depth. The daily subterfuge was killing me. A few weeks later, I finally cracked. I took the two managers into the boardroom and called a meeting with them. I don't know what I'm doing, I said. They smiled sympathetically. We all feel a bit like that sometimes. There's no pressure. It's early days. No, I really don't know what I'm doing. I... Like I failed year 10 math. I have dyscalculia. I can't add up or subtract. I worked on the phone at a call centre. I don't actually know how to audit or forecast. You couldn't maybe learn? You fit in so well here. We all like you. I like you guys too, I said miserably. They said they'd call the recruiter and make a complaint. They actually didn't blame me. I packed up my corn holders and my knickknacks and I made my way out of the tower. My friend the muso later said to me he didn't say hello because he didn't want to out me, but he really didn't need to. I did that myself. Ruth McIver, business energy <laughs> forecaster. <laughs> what? I don't even understand what that job is. I, I don't either, <laughs> which is, is the problem. Wow. So do you think somewhere on your resume that maybe – have did you include a line that like led them astray? Like, I I actually was really proud how, of myself yeah. because I didn't lie in my CV. I, yeah. I, by the time I was about twenty six, I'd stopped lying on CVs, and I was really really proud of that. And I remember showing him my CV. He he probably didn't get it because while he maybe that was like maybe not an area that he knew very well. So right, um, and because yep, yep. I'd done billing and stuff like that, um, which really was. Um, pretty much like trying to give people extensions so their power wasn't cut off and and stuff like that. There were points where people did ask me to do calculations and stuff and I would put them on hold for like 20 minutes and like maybe try to hang up on them or I would cuz cuz you know you were given a formula to do it and like a calculator but that when you have the problem that I have, that doesn't matter. Yeah, that's um, not helpful. That doesn't help. So I'd just be like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm placing you on hold. And then, you know, so I'm like, this call is being transferred. <laughs> Your so, call has been disconnected. <laughs> Goodbye, beep. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just somehow managed to kind of worm my way out of that component of it. Um, so, yeah, I definitely didn't, you know, talk that up. Um he just was like, I've got a job you'd be perfect at. And I can be quite charming in job interviews. So I charmed my way into the job without really knowing what it was. I guess I am a little to blame. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that being said, sometimes you do get into a job and you can just, like, you know, learn. Yeah. But I've definitely done that. I yeah. mean, I've... I've you know, I was a writer for a magazine, then I got given, I got appointed and I didn't even ask for it. I got appointed communications manager. So I had to learn how to do that job. And that was really hard. And um, I, 
but I, I could, that was within my capability. Mm. Um, whereas this was just something that I could not do. Completely. It was out like of your reading wheelhouse. every day, yeah. like reading Swahili and pretending to understand Swahili and then tip typing on your computer. Like that episode of Black Books <laughs> when Fran gets the job and she's going, Fatty and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also do love how they um you know, they really set it up like you were going to be a new permanent fixture there. Oh, yeah, I mean, they put your, job. your name on the door. Yeah, and I was I I mean, because I'd been floating and stuff and I you know, had all this money and then I just frittered it away and it was such a party house and such a party time and um I really really craved structure and I wanted and I was broke and I you know, I'd been I'd been working full time, so I was I wasn't used to that, and um, you know I was doing all these crazy jobs, and um, <laughs> and I just it was so nice to have some money, you know. Mm. I just really, really, really wanted to be I wanted to be good, I wanted to be normal, and you know it was so not me, you know. And I was wearing these business clothes and coming home to this house that was just you know. People were having like hoedowns and jams in the kitchen. The power was going up because the power was always surging because we had so many instruments plugged in. And well, you should have done some forecasting to see how much power you were using. I know. I remember at that house, like we used to have these Friday night parties, and um, in winter because we didn't have any heat, we used to turn the oven on. And once um, my friend Aggie, who you know, yep. and I fell asleep in the oven because we were sitting in the <gasps> oven. <laughs> like it was just wild so did you get extremely hurt is that for no, another story we were, sitting, <laughs> we were just sitting sort of like crouched you know the oven door we were yeah. sitting like on the oven door so like sort of half in the oven <laughs> oh my god yeah. that could have ended very very badly. badly yeah um a bit Hansel and Gretel or something yeah maybe. it's also interesting how um you know I in my story I managed to um to keep my secret for a very very long time whereas you quite quickly how long was it like was uh, it a couple it of months about, oh, no no like, not even okay. it was like maybe eight days um but because of christmas and stuff so this was like pre-christmas so i there was breaks you know in time and stuff so i came back on new year the like the day after new year's day or something and yeah Oh God, I just remember that. I <laughs> it was so horrifying because I was like, I think if you had a big New Year's Eve anyway, going into the office as we were talking um, about earlier is really kind of horrible. But like, I had such bad anxiety because I was also coming into a job that I had to quit, and you know, so I think I lasted for a couple of days, and everyone yeah. was going to the beach and enjoying themselves, and you know. Like, yeah, it was I've so got to desperately. Quit my high-profile job as an energy forecaster. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was. Um, it, I, I look. I just couldn't take it. And everyone was saying to me, you know, you're a temp. You can, you could just drag it out for as long. But it was getting harder and harder. And I just couldn't handle the the double life. It just didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't sitting well. No, with you. it's it wasn't. not who you are. It was yeah. too. I was so anxious about it. And I mean, I think. I always felt like when I was in office jobs, like, you know, those posters of those little kids and they're wearing like babies or toddlers and they're wearing like um, suits. Like, there's a, you, <laughs> you know, felt like, like one of those posters. I always felt like that. Like, I always yeah. felt, and I, you know, I finally found my way, like, in, in offices and stuff and the way that I would dress that was still me and stuff like that. But in those early days in your 20s, you don't know 
you kind of have an idea, this is what an adult looks like or this is what mm. a corporate adult looks like. And because I was so non-corporate, it was such a bizarre kind of performance and it mm. felt so wrong on so many levels. And, it, you know, the life that I was leading, it was so wrong. Like I shouldn't have been in those jobs, yeah. but I just kept trying to kind of... <laughs> you know, like fit in or something. So <laughs> I do think there's something very brave though about um, what you did as opposed to what I did. <laughs> um, not that we're, you know, comparing uh, our experiences of feeling like a fraud. Um, you know, it's n- no judgment, safe space and all that. <laughs> I do think it's really great that, you know, you kind of recognise that. You're like, all right, I've given this a fair go. I've given this eight days worth of a go. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I've recognised that, like, I cannot... Um, you know, fake my way through this situation. I mean, it would be very brave to like face up to all these people and go, look, I'm actually like 100% not qualified for this and please, uh, please fire me. Well, it was horrible because um, I think, because like I said, they were so nice and they really liked me and I really liked them and um, they were so nice to me. Um, but I did also feel like my, the the recruiter was like a bit shitty with me and he was kind of like, why didn't you say something earlier on? And I was like, well, why did you put me in this job? Like, mm. um, but yeah, I think I, I really liked them. They weren't like a small business. They weren't like a, you know, mom and pop kind of organization, but they were still really, I felt like it was the only right, the decent thing yep. to do because they deserve someone who knew how to do the job. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of feel bad that I let it go on as long as I did, but you know, I had to eat at Christmas, so. It would have been a terrible time to quit right before Christmas. Well, we didn't even really Got to get that public holiday pay. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't even really have a proper Christmas. It was like one of my only orphans Christmases actually, but I remember being so excited that I could buy, you know, food for the day because, you know, I'd been such a like, oh, just, you know, poor as a church mouse. Moolah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forecast lots of money. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that is the end of our fourth episode. You've been listening to First Time Feelings. Stream our podcasts from Apple Podcasts or anywhere you stream your podcasts. Find us on Instagram at First Time Feels Podcast. Tell your friends to listen, but please don't tell our mums. Mm-hmm.